Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture. Michael Hamlet and Michael Sidgwick here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, the show formerly known as NXT 2. But oh! Pay per views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week complete. With a bloody quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, though, joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to review a very eventful episode of AEW Dynamite. All the fallout from Full Gear, and uh, oh boy, this has got people talking, hasn't it, Sidge? It has. I'll start this very uh, succinctly. Worry not, AEW freakazoids, right? Because we've got a pair <laughs> of Debbie Downers. So we're going to try and completely ruin a good time, but outside of there was probably right a um, go-home revolution or something on the build to revolution, which was the last consistently hot vibe time. That might have been a better episode than this. I just can't remember the entire card from top to bottom, highlighted by some seminal CM Punk and um, MGF segment or other. Not including those which I forgot, I can't remember having as much fun watching a Dynamite as I did here for both my subjective favorites doing my subjective favorite things and the way that certain storylines had coalesced, promising directions. I just loved this and had a wonderful, wonderful time watching it. Yeah, it was something that struck me both during the episode and then during the first of several over-the-desk conversations, which says a lot, first of several over-the-desk conversations Mm. me and Cedric have had this morning, um, that Tony Khan... And I did think this during the episode. Tony Khan has absolutely found a very specific 2019 strain of form because I knew in my heart from spending so much time with Cedric over the years that he would love this. And I knew, I to extend that, I was more excited about a Triple H War Games show. So I was like, <laughs> I, I felt it. During, I liked elements of this and we'll obviously get into it in a, on a more granular thing. But like, I just felt that. I thought he's got, it might not be for me, but he has found a, a vein of form that will absolutely nail his core base and you could feel it here yeah i would have said finally they have got out from under the cloud and done the great reset but i feel like i might be contradicting myself when we talk about the match where that was clearly not the case so (laughs) and that's still good though i i I didn't hate the show far from it if anything i hated myself i need to go full shabatta i need to take the brain out give it a nice (laughs) 
pop it back in because for several segments. Like a glass with it like, behind a bar. <laughs> Can you imagine what his stupid face would look like without the brain in it? <laughs> it is that, you know, you know, exactly. You know the, the emoji where it's like, well, oh, okay. As you want pause. Because stuff happened. That's black and mirror I, stuff. I went, oh, I feel like this about it. And then I went, why are you feeling like that? And I, I, I just, it, now having talked it through with you guys, I think I enjoyed the show a lot more. It's just because I I confused myself on the show, but we'll get into it, it as we get into I, this segment. I'm, I was only joking. I I no, but I didn't dislike yeah. it. it. I was, was only just, joking at the start about the preamble. Bury what you want to bury. Like, yeah. I don't give a toss. I, mean, I was annoyed about not winning ladies night, but you know, never mind. But never mind about that. I forgot about that. Oh, big, big developments on that to come, oh. by the way. Um, so AW uh, Dynamite started. Uh, how did it, the women's division. Big how, developments. What? How did, it, how did it start? Well, what did it sound like? All right, the start of the show. Bring the boom. Boom, let's go. Ignite. Something got in a flash of light. Dynamite. Where's it you know what that means? It's AW Rampage. <laughs> <laughs> and William Regal is just standing in the ring. Thank you very much. That's how Dynamite started. Oh, new, just, sorry. New, new credits. Not quite stylistically new enough, but loads of new yeah. wrestlers. It had a reset vibe. Boom. Jamie Hayter. That yeah. was nice. Yeah. Just had a copyright strike there from AW. That wasn't actually the live recording. <laughs> so. Um, so, yes. <laughs> There's Regal still in the middle of the ring, and he says... Do you want to hear from world champion MJF? <laughs> off. You're not going to hear from him. <laughs> he doesn't want to come to Chicago, and he's on the set of a major motion picture, making the big pictures out there in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> he says, Hollywood. And he goes to continue and presumably explain his actions on the, on the pape. But then Moxley's music hits. And this is a real, like, oh, you done up now. Like, and Moxley's just coming through the crowd. And we all know what's about to happen. He's going to kill an elderly gentleman on television. Just quick stop there. I don't think I said this on a podcast. I think it was, I was messaging you about this over the weekend, actually. Like, AW commentary has been pissing me off a little bit lately. Like, Taz and Excalibur and Tony Schiavone, like... I'm not against three people that find each other so funny that sometimes it's at the expense of the content. In fact, I think that sometimes <laughs> makes excellent content. But a little bit lately, why, like, I'm not asking for JR strictly, but wind it in, lads. Like some production yeah. backstage, whatever it is. There was a point where their disagreement was the perfect tone for this because Excalibur was like, like Regal's going to stand his ground as a man. And Taz is like, I don't care if he stands his ground. He's going to get his ass kicked. He's going to be in the hospital. And I, just, I thought that was the exact conversation you yeah. would be having with somebody else if this were real. And I thought that did really well to set, yeah. the, set the right tone. So yeah, Moxie comes through the crowd. He's he's getting into the ring, and he's I mean he's just going to keep walking until he runs over, <laughs> <laughs> until he runs over Eagle. Thankfully, Brian Danielson slides in at the very last second and stops him. And there's just it's not a shoving match because Moxie's not shoving. He's just constantly having to push Moxley back before he does something he will regret to uh, to Regal. And he says, look, we've all done bad things in our careers. He's grabbed this mic that's on the, that's been chucked down. He grabs this mic. We've all done bad things. Don't hurt him. He's t- not that, I'm not not to tell him what to do, but generally, and probably particularly with Moxley, not the best idea if you're trying to calm him down to slap him across the face. <laughs> but I could see where he, what he was trying to do here. Um, and he talked about the struggles that Moxley's had, of course. Uh, he talked about the, the fact that Regal's obviously had issues, the fact that Danielson's own father has had these problems. And, and because 
Danielson couldn't understand it. Regal helped him, and you know he got to spend those final years understanding that. Um, and he talks about Moxley's own daughter and saying, you know, if he could do that for me, blah blah blah, etc. For you, um, and eventually he he sufficiently calms Moxley down that he isn't going to literally tear his head off. Instead, he's going to quote the Lion King and say to uh, William Regal, I want you to do one thing, and that's run far, far away and never come back. And Regal sensibly says, well, nothing. He just leaves, um, particularly because Danielson mentioned this guy's had like two bleeds on his brain and he's obviously got all this, this is these health problems. Don't do this, Moxley, but yes. Go far, far away, never come back. And Regal takes that as his cue to leave. And uh, I think it was you said in the office this morning, Moxley at one point in this was channeling the the meme of the kid with the vein in his head. To the but, point where I wonder if he was the kid, because they kind of look alike when you just stop and stare for a second. He was so red and veiny that it was just like, was that you in the IT lab or board in Cincinnati Library? Because we know what you did in there. I love the fact that, that, you know, I sit here and say, oh, God, I tell you what, I could really do with a holiday. Moxley looks like he could really do with <laughs> one right now. Uh, what, what did you think to this, Sige? Um, it, I can understand why people were a bit, uh, by it, but I personally thought it was great. It was a very wrestling way of delivering incredibly weighty material in that sort of, in front of an audience, kind of out of nowhere. I personally had no idea that Brian Danielson's father mm. had like um, abuse, uh, yeah. substance abuse issues. So that was a lot to unpack in and of itself. To have that is the, um, there's always a thing in wrestling that keeps two characters together, unless you're Triple H and you just book them a match after match after match. There's always something <laughs> in good wrestling that keeps two wrestlers apart. Um, and gives them a reason to not fight yet because you have to build the anticipation across the weekly episodic cycle. So it's like, oh, Christ, that's a bombshell. And that, it was a lot to unpack while I was watching. It was incredibly ambitious, not necessarily suited to the opening segment of a wrestling show. But I thought the performances were so great and that ultimately it was executed very well mm. indeed. I thought Moxley in particular was unbelievable. Danielson... It felt a little bit like he was suddenly transitioning into a new way to operate as this character, and it was like not a 60, and I think he repeated certain phrases quite a lot. Maybe he was a bit shaky to just be told, right, you've got to do this. And it's like, all right, okay, I haven't been doing that for a while. So his performance was a bit shaky, frankly. I thought Moxley's um, performance carried this whole thing because how can you get that guy not being for the blood of the mm. person who betrayed him that's how you do it and that's how you uh, emote it yeah i thought it was, was mostly really strong stuff um brian so th i get what you're saying Sige, about the performance i really loved brian in this because i just felt a pang of ah oh, some actual character development I, th I think it is a reasonable criticism of brian's year in AEW that he locks into individual feuds or matches for the sake of the match but compared to a lot of people in AEW, he's not at anywhere near the arc a guy of his ex-WrestleMania main event level guy should have had. He's a plug-in guy. He's his own worst enemy for us, the viewer, because he will do anything for anybody, it would seem. Whereas this feels like, right, I know this guy is in a way that I haven't in the last 12 months. He's a guy more familiar with Daniel Bryan, who I've always said, don't criticise WWE for getting Daniel Bryan wrong. 
credit Brian Danielson for doing so much mm-hmm. with a bad WWE run. And I feel like there's a character here, a character that can eventually challenge MJF for the world title with William Regal's loyalties yet again up for question, even though he's turned on Moxley. Now we've got this whole new wrinkle to the story. Um, that felt like, th- I thought Brian and Moxley perfectly measured, like, are they going to fight mm. versus they're doing this? Because the bi- guy's being dudes about emotions. Like, I thought they, <laughs> they just measured that absolutely perfectly. And Sidge was telling me about, uh, like, some speculation, was it, about Regal's status to do with his walking away? I saw more than one take on Twitter, some of the usual dark Twitter characters who sometimes have got a great rumour-mongering record, shall we say, saying, oh, Triple H has been on the phone and you don't know if they're being mischievous or what. Um, But there was talk that, all right, okay, is this Regal's write-off? And I had the idea that it can't possibly be because why would you hinge your entire big pay-per-view main event around development without being able to capitalize on it and take away some of MGF's heat when it should really all be on him and not distributed with Regal as part of a partnership. But Hamlet has a great idea. So I didn't know about that, but when Sidge mentioned it, my thought was... if I don't think he's going. I don't think he's signed to yeah. an eight-month contract. Mm. It's ridiculous. Ah, it was revolution he came in, so it would at least be a year. It would stand to reason then you could have this chat. But even if he is away for now and makes another surprise comeback where he slides the knuckles in to help MGF again... So be it. I thought if that was the case and Triple H has made the phone call and the example he used was Ric Flair in WWE, he was called to go back to WCW. He felt like he belonged there. He made a handshake deal with Vince McMahon and he left. And it's one of those rare cases where everybody was relatively content with the deal. If William Regal has said, Triple H is making the call and I think I want to go back, my son's there, there's all these things yeah. I still like to do in WWE. Tony Khan has potentially maximised his use of William Regal by having some fun with the Blackpool Combat Club, this amazing turn... And then when he's back in WWE, does that not pour petrol on the war of 2024 like story? Mm. Because MJF on camera can say, it's not just Cody that's up there. I've got the guy who closed the door on me is now opening it wide for me to take this belt and go where I'm wanted. Yeah. And like, so maybe even Tony Khan has thought enough of that. I think, well, I can, when Cedric says, oh, how are we going to use it? That is how you use that because Cody was surely going to be the unspoken best mate up north. Potentially, if Regal was to go back, he's got to. I'd, I agree. I don't think he's going anywhere yet, but I think that's a really cool detail if Triple H does low Regal back. And I think there's good arguments for Regal going back as well. Mm. He fit, like, he's brought he's back. so much better on AEW TV than NXT TV. Oh, abs- as a character, most definitely. But if you think about the absolute losers that were fired that Triple H brought back, Regal is not one of them, is he? Like, you think yeah. of the people he would care to have around, you would assume Regal would be one of those guys. Yeah. So I could see it. But certainly, uh, there's more for him to do narratively where we're at now yeah. than just say if the Blackpool Combat Club was starting to... I personally don't think he's going anywhere. It's just a nice bit of speculation and Hamflet put a nice bit of speculation on top of that speculation. Um, but I just love the vibe of the old Regal. Oh, he's so uncouth. Where, where are we Sneer. again? Sneer. Chicago, was it? Uh, yeah, he's Brilliant. just like, I love that about Regal. Like, he's... Ooh, ooh, ooh. I like that, but the absolute cock. Yeah. <laughs> pretentious... Like just lordish cock that he is. He's so Chicago people are proud of their city. Pass it on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great yeah. place. I I annoyed myself with this because I got annoyed that that I kind of well, a bit like handful of blue walls. Um, but uh, <laughs> but then I was like, well, what did I want it's to a, happen? It's a mess down there. It's, <laughs> it's funny because it's true or painful actually. But then I was like, well, "What did I? What did I want to happen? I didn't want. I didn't want Moxley and Danielson to fight because I liked the conflict, but I didn't want them to come to blows for this." And I was like, "Well, what, what was the, what's the other option there, Adam?" 
they genuinely hospitalise William Regal. That's terrifying as well. And it, you know, there's a chance that either goes awry or it just looks a little bit crap because yeah. you have to pull the punch. So yeah, could be a brilliant kayfabe right out for Mox for this. We were saying yeah. yesterday, how do you do that? This is there's a guy that's got to go away and find himself. Mm. That's, this is a tremendous way. If this is the last we see him for six to eight weeks, I think that's spot on. Uh, what if Regal comes back the week before he does? Is yeah. like, I told you to go I away. I told you. Yeah. yeah. Thought he was safe. Yeah. Then we then go backstage to uh, Renee Paquette. She's there with Kizli, um, who has been asked his uh, considerations regarding the pay-per-view. Um, but he, he, he cannot utter one word before Swerve Strickland uh, comes in, covers the camera with his hand and says, we kind of need to talk. And uh, that's the last we see of him. I like this a lot. They are continuing to confound my prior expectations of the team that we knew were put together to eventually fall apart. I was really impressed with what they did at the pay-per-view. Maybe even more impressed here because the whole point is that Keith Lee knew Swerve was a cock for ages. <laughs> but it's like, how much of a cock can I tolerate? I know you're cheating. I know you're doing these dastardly things to keep our titles or try and win them back. I will not put up with a guy that tries to snip people's fingers off in the middle of a wrestle. That like makes total sense, doesn't it? That's a human being. There's, as a pro wrestler, you're supposed to hurt people, but you're not supposed to sever the limbs. The end, right? What if Swerve is able to, to talk his way back into Keith Lee's good books and us have this one more match? Where it's like, does Keith know that Swerve is going to turn on him? Is Keith trying to be such a nice guy? It's more in character for him to give him a chance to at least have the conversation. I thought this is... Smart again, smart character development. I want to feel like these are real people, and I think this is how Keith Lee would react to this. I've got one more thing that I forgot to say about the opening segment, and that is it draws us closer to Danielson versus MJF at Revolution, which oh my God. could be absolutely phenomenal. And I think Brian would get the cheers. That's that's the big risk. Get get it with Starks because of the Texas thing. They need to, should they be working this hard? It's a different topic for another day, I think. But I think Danielson, mm. like people forget, like again, like I prefer Brian Danielson ultimately to Daniel Bryan just, but people forget when he really wants to play a hundred percent babyface, how unbelievably great he is at it. Um so that draws us closer to that. You can use Regal to transition to mm-hmm. Danielson to MGF, and then you can have Danielson just win loads of awesome matches on TV. Not that they care about rankings, but they care about building guys still. Max, you uh, talk about that picture. Who was it shaking CM Punk's hand? Yeah. Like, they're, like they're the exact same law, but yeah. just I'm, I was the other guy, mate. Like, yeah. it, wouldn't be, it wasn't just him. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I loved, as brief as it was, this Keith Lee Swerve Strickland thing. I thought it was so well performed. Even in this tiny little, you didn't really get a, I don't know how to phrase this. You can't really get a great example of how well something's performed if it lasts all of 10 seconds. (laughs) And yet, I thought they really felt like they were having this intimate, very tense, real conversation. And for once, an interruption works. We always poke fun, and I hate that AEW succumbs to the inherent bollocks that is North American TV wrestling, because at its very best, this promotion, I believe, transcends it. When they succumb to the stupid, inherent stuff that wrestling is. Like, oh, we only talk once a week, mm. especially in the age of, like, WhatsApp and social mm. media. It's a farce to say, right, okay, we've been living on a different planet for the last seven days. So let's discuss what happened a week ago right now in front of a camera. It's all a bit stupid. But in this particular example, I can readily imagine Swerve being a little bit too apprehensive to further annoy this incredible beast of a bloke that he's annoyed. And they've done such a marvelous job of making Keith Lee feel like an actual virtuous, pretty flawless, incredibly reasonable human being that he would be so disgusted by Swerve 
that he just doesn't want anything to do with them right now. So this felt like an actual, elusive, super rare organic interruption. Because patience is a good quality too. And Keith Lee had a yeah, lot of patience. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, it's not just about like good and evil. I've got knee patience. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you know what? You made a point the other week that has really stuck with me, and I, it, like, it jumped out here. The How sort of quiet and serene, that little moment together when he covers the camera. Um, that AW background is a circus. Yeah, like that, it I, is. Nothing of significance happens when those AW things are in the background because that's the joke, interruption, stupid bollocks, fake wrestling TV. This was cast against it. I think it was just a, a plain black background or something yeah, like it was that. Really good. Feels like a choice because those interruptions. That's, that's a farce. When some uh, when MJF was there or Moxley, it was like, what are you doing there? Yeah, no, you don't, you don't belong there. This yeah. is for where the factory hang out or whatever. Like. Not, and that, I thought, made a difference here. We're going to praise the factory, actually, very soon. Yeah, they rule. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so we got the next, the first of two championship matches on this show. The first one was for the uh, All-Atlantic title. Hager wants the title. Jake Hager, that is. And Orange Cassidy wants Jake Hager's hat. <laughs> um, and uh, Hager's not happy about it. It was a sign for the hat as well, wasn't there? It's two. It's over. <laughs> Two, two, actually. So Hager in, immediately puts Cassidy's glasses on to go with his hat that he loves, and uh, Cassidy does his does his kicks, and Hager's not having any of it. Just takes him out. Um, Cassidy knocks off the hat. Hager's like, "Give me my hat back." Gets low bridged. Um, uh, Daddy Magic, Cool Hand Ange, they come in and they're sort of like, "Wait, you can't have it. Wait, you can't have it." Uh, and then Cassidy goes for a dive onto Hager, but gets caught and posted. And uh, Hager's got his hat back as we go to the picture-in-picture picture break. Uh, Hager's in control throughout that, um, and then Cassidy, as we come back, gets knocked off to the apron onto the into the waiting arms of the best friends who carry him round and pop him back into the match. Uh, and Hager just nails all of them basically. Cassidy takes out Daniel Garcia. Remember him? Um, Matt Menard, uh, Angelo Barker. Uh, he takes out them all with a, with a dive. Uh, and Hager catches a top rope DDT. Uh, and it looks like he's going to murder Orange Cassidy. But Cassidy counters that into the Stun Dog Millionaire. And a satellite DDT goes to the Orange Punch. But Hager blocks it, slams him down, puts him in the ankle lock. And uh, Cassidy's trying everything to, to, to try and get out of it or to spin around or whatever. And he tries to kick Hager off. That doesn't work. And then... Because Hager's a dumb idiot, basically. Uh, dumb big jock. He loses the hat, and that's the only thing that's going to take his attention away from this ankle lock. Uh, and he, so Cassidy throws the hat away. Hager's like, I'm going to go and get my hat back. Grabs it, comes back, gets uh, Casadora rolled up. Orange Cassidy gets the one, two, three. A lot of stuff happened post-match, obviously, Sid. So let's talk about the match first. Uh, it was alright. It was fine, I guess. I think that they sequenced the card really quite well because there were two really sort of weighty, intense, like, suspense-driven segments before this. So I think the crowd needed a bit of a let-up, a bit of a breather. Orange Cassidy's a perfect guy for second-match comedy. I didn't like Jake Hager enjoying the hat. I enjoyed the absurdity of the hat. This (laughs) $2, ugly, 90s-tastic, purple hat being like the Ark of the Covenant or something. <laughs> <laughs> and the idea of the stupid comedy spots of, oh, and then 2.0 falling like all over themselves to try and win it back. It was irreverent and absurd in a way that pleased me that didn't overstay its welcome. But my God, please don't build any more matches around this. No. Because it's, uh, look, it's faithful to what the JAS is. They cherish 
ultimately nonsense above what all of this should be. Perfectly in character with the stable. Um, I think it doubled as a really fun match here. But I think I'm talking myself into enjoying it even more. That these pillocks enjoy the stupidest symbol of Gaga imaginable. It's the most, really, they've ever felt like the JAS or these sports entertainment guys. Because, look, the fundamental flaw in um, Anarchy in the Arena is that two great wrestling teams had a mint, mint AEW X Memphis brawl. It's a pretty fundamental flaw that, as a few, they've kicked the Blackpool Combat Club's ass like <laughs> yes. over and over again. Uh, like <laughs> They are great pro wrestlers underneath it. This was the... Uh, Maybe this is like the absolute epitome of what they should be. Yeah, you're kind of talking me around as well. I like there was the one takeaway physically from this was that I didn't realise Hager had such a good trucking game. There was a couple of times oh, yeah. where he ran into Cassidy or ran into best friends and he splattered them. Good snap. Good snap. Fearless. Like absolutely flung his body into it and I got a lot out of that. Um the hat stuff was the first realization that AW sometimes makes me feel that I am in the wrong for disliking stuff, and that's nobody's fault but Tony Khan's and my own. We are just <laughs> different people. Mm. And the hat, there were signs in the crowd. It's the least, most fed thing they did all night, though. At lad. least two that I spotted. <laughs> it's because they parody that, and I think that's what it is. I feel yeah. a bit burned. Like, there was two hat signs. And it's like, these fans are really enjoying this hat thing, way more than I am. Like, I'm stuck at a party that I don't want to be at with this hat thing. And they've done it before. It's with other stuff as well. But it was just... I, I was over the joke so early into this, and then I've got to watch a pretty bang average wrestling match centered around it. So I got very little enjoyment out of it, and I continue, and I'm I'm boring myself talking about this, but like I just start really feeling quite a lot for Orange Cassidy, and Tony Khan has evidently never felt less. It's like he's this and he's this forever. And I was like, oh, I'm ready, I'm ready. It's been two years, I'm finally ready. Yeah, I'm bored of him now. Like he can be my undercard. Sidgwick's right; he fits this this mm. role perfectly, but I still. I've decided, and I'll feel more for him. He should be in title matches. He's a babyface that could fight MJF for the world title, <laughs> and we're doing this. But again, that's just from where my tastes align to where this is being booked. We're miles apart on it, miles apart. The use of the seconds here and the catharsis on a very low-key, low-lying level of like 2.0, just getting splattered with an Orange mm. Cassidy dive, and I just thought there was such a nice arrangement to the bollocks here. I just was never too far away from a... Eh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like the yeah. X Pap collab. Yeah. yeah. Be like everyone's first podcast listen here. Yeah. Just totally lost. I look at like Trent and Chuck Taylor's really, really pleased with themselves grins. And I, I think I preferred the locker room when another guy was in there. That's all I'm saying. I'm going to talk you through the roller coaster I went on this next bit. And I think, arguably, it was a lot of the time. A bit like when we had Dudangs being the... the, the there, That's it. Oh, no, it's Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> Apart from if you turn his body. It's Dudangs! It's here! <laughs> so, so the outcomes, QT Marshall and the factory. And I was like, uh, right, are we doing this? Are we okay? And he's cutting his promo and the mic's going out. And I'm like, oh, fix your production stuff, lads, for God's sake. How many years have we sat here and complained about this? And then the lights go out and Julia Hart, it's all red lighting now, Julia Hart appears on the stage and I go, what? Because I was like, sorry, you've brought back the House of Black because they want the all-Atlantic title of all <laughs> things. But I'm an idiot for all of the things that I've just said because in reality, the House of Black, boom, they're in the ring. 
There's three of the best friends. Yes. Oh, sorry, yeah. <laughs> they, yeah they're about to do, they've got to get the people what they want in amongst all this, I should say. Uh, best friends, Rocky Romero. Everyone dies. <laughs> well, specifically the best friends, Rocky Romero, they all get murdered by the House of Black, because of course they do. And the factory are like, great work. <laughs> and it's like, no, 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 no. That's not how this works. They all get killed, obviously, by uh, Black Matthews and King. Some prelim jobber guys, they get wrecked. Security guys get wrecked. Uh, the crowd are loving this. And then on the on the ramp... <sighs> oh, my God. The Brody King Dante's... I'm fairly certain a man died. I think I watched a man oh, die yeah. on the stage. And I was like, oh! And then uh, Malachi Black does the whole members of the House of Black, please rise. So that's what, that's the sort of journey I went on with this. This is absolutely fantastic television. And this is where Tony Khan is cooking. Talked on the preview yesterday, or in and around the full gear stuff. What a lovely deft masterstroke it was to subvert the um, telegraphed outcome of a tournament with the use of Ethan Page. We'll get to that later and how it added way more drama to the main event of Full Gear with some lovely, deft, dovetailing booking. Gave you an idea of what it was going to be, made it seem viable, and then wrong-footed you into a way better thing, which is Ricky Starks in Texas versus MGF as a heel. It might actually work. This was another example of what I love about Tony Khan's booking, right, is that I love being wrong-footed by it. At his very best, it feels like I'm being skinned by Ronaldinho, and I don't resent it because I've just watched some amazing skill happen in front <laughs> <Yeah>. of me. <laughs> when the lights go out, I thought, all right, okay, this is the Danhausen bit because they might run it back um, on Rampage or something. But the lights have gone out because I saw this happen at zero hour before full gear. Oh, Danhausen's going to come out. They might run back a different singles um, iteration of this feud, okay? And no, it isn't. He uses what he did on Saturday to wrong foot you, a bit of a Rabona, mm. a bit of a rainbow flick to get to the House of Black, killing everyone in one of the just most crunching, aesthetically pleasing ways possible. Even before the Dante's Inferno on the ramp, like Broody uh, King, mm. as Hamlet pointed out earlier, is also great at trucking people. Like, just, <laughs> yeah. there's a Camarado that he just blasts oh his face. Yeah. Yeah. Oh Fearless God. stuff. Just this... Segment was awesome, and this, like, I hate you know how I hate plagiarizing people's takes, and I had to talk myself around a different way of phrasing it, or whatever. Every single tweet I read connected to the segment said the same thing this is what the House of Black should be, this is what the House of Black should be, this is what the House of Black should be, mm. and they were awesome. Yeah, let, like, let it never be misunderstood. That we're coming on these podcasts and being like, oh, bloody hell, it's Malachi Black, Brody King, and Buddy Matthews. Not these again. Mm. I'm saying, oh, bloody hell, they're burning bodies in a lake. Are they? <laughs> yeah. Are they? Brody like, King and Ashes is awesome. Yeah, like, but. Yeah, that's the. This is this is what they should always be. Like, cool your jets. Uh, like, if Bray Wyatt could go, then you'd have to just allow for the nonsense because then the matches would come around. And that would always be. Instead, we're like. Oh god! At least the nonsense will keep us away from a match for a bit. It's the worst of both worlds. Like this is like the not the nonsense was something you would put up with because the House of Black would come good in trio situations like this. Imagine just doing away with the fucking nonsense. Uh, then, like I'm seeing double vision here. Four good things. Like I just I just need that now. I think this was this felt telling as well. I don't think this was by accident. Like the the bollocks was kept to a minimum. And if anything, the one person that's really good at that from a visual point of view is Julia Hart. She's the leader of the House of Black now. And, uh, and and she's like all of them are in a better position for it. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, we got a bit of a recap of everything that went down at full gear with Jungle Boy Jack Perry and uh, Luchasaurus. And uh, Perry says, as much as he resents Luchasaurus, he's glad he shared the moment with him after everything that they've been through. And then it was time to find out who MJF's first challenger for the world title would be. It was the finals of the uh, AW Eliminator Tournament, World Title Eliminator Tournament. Ethan Page versus half of Ricky Stark stuck together with duct tape, basically. It was... Re- like, I know why. I've seen all the stuff that's happened. I've seen Lance Archer slamming him on bloody, you know, uh, stairs that are on their side, and Brian Cage chucked him all over the place and stuff. But it was like just tape on top of tape <laughs> on top of tape. It was great. It was very obvious and very easy to, you know, not as if you, as if you need any more encouragement to get behind the underdog, the injured party here. Um, and, yeah, that's the story of the match they, they tell. I mean, Ethan Page comes out, and Stokely Hathaway goes, you know, this guy's a twat, <laughs> and he gets booed appropriately for for being that that guy. Um, and yeah, the story of is just Ethan Page, as he said on the sort of road to going. Well, I know you're injured, and I'm just going to target that. Um, Starks is you know trying to do his sort of signature offense, but Page has worked out a what that is, and b the precise moment to stop him, like he's trying to do a float over in the corner early, and just. For example, kick him in the ribs. That'll do it. Um, Page is, you know, playing to the crowd, of course, of just like, I'm just toying with this. He's not He's not 100%. He's barely 50% here. And Stark has to come in and he spears Page quite early on, but it's not a, oh, he's going to get a near fall. It's just to kind of at least attempt to slow him down. He can't capitalize on it. Um, he gets thrown into the barricade, does Starks, and gets chucked into the post. Page is just dominating here, uh, and Starks has to make a sort of one-armed comeback. Uh, he goes for a tornado DDT, and Page drops him on the ropes. And they, I think this was, this was the point in the show, I may be mistaken, where they're like, this isn't rope, this is cable. And it's just always a nice reminder, especially when someone's like, bloody ribs! Um... Page gets sent to the outside and in a sort of harking back to the, oh, f- like when he got the kick out, was it Cage who kicked out? And he was like, oh, for Christ's sake, yeah, this match yeah, yeah. He's like, Page on the outside. And he's like, I'm going to have to try a dive here, aren't I? And that's just really is all or nothing. Um, and he goes for it. And in comes Stokely Hathaway to, to push his boy out of the way and eat it instead. Um, so Page doesn't really get hit with it. Stokely gets taken out with it, but then he gets ejected. Um, they get back in. They're fighting in the corner. I think Page is going for like an avalanche body slam, but Starks reverses and hits him with a superplex. Um, Starks, after the sort of back and forth between the two of them, swinging neckbreaker, tornado DDT for the two count, goes to the Rochambeau. Page hits a power slam instead. Uh, that gets a near fall for him. Is that the lift-up power slam yeah. thing? Oh, my God. I didn't think I'd, I'm not, I think he's good, but I didn't really think I'd be pressing this button for Ethan Page, but that... Like, sort of, woof, power slam. Yeah. Oh, my God. Starks gets out of Ego's... Salivating at the thought of Ethan Page over here. <laughs> Starks gets out of Ego's edge. Page goes for a lariat, misses it. Couple of spears from Ricky Starks. One, two, three. He is the number one contender. He will face MJF at Winter is Coming on December 14th, I think it is. Yeah, oh, I... Didn't get, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't get a lot out of this. I, I'm not... I wasn't salivating at Ethan Page. I don't think... I don't think any less of Ricky Starks. I quite like watching... I've enjoyed watching him uh, test himself a little bit. Like, what are the babyface things he can do really well? What are the things less so? What's he... Like, adding more strings to his bow throughout this tournament. Uh, the result... The thing was, I, because I was so certain of the result, this, as good as the selling was... I think you've made this point with Omega in the books before, how they sell almost differently, and yet they're not given credit for being more sporting. Yes. The pantomime 
babyface injury selling felt more fraudulent because I felt the result was never in doubt. I like I just the match was well worked. Like these are two these are two professional wrestlers wrestling professionally, but I just didn't feel that emotionally engaged. And if anything, because I also because I also know that Starks isn't winning the title winner is coming. Like I felt that during this, I was mm. already thinking ahead to the next predictable element of it, and I, I, I don't know. You go along with the journey to as an extent. You do, you do, you absolutely do. I, I totally take that point, but I just I wasn't really into this. Like Ethan Page, I said it on another podcast. I think did a really tremendous job of talking himself into a role that, with the greatest respect, I just don't think he was primed for it. It, it was still, even if he's really good at that, it is still a bit out of nowhere. Like the firmer, this like loser jobber squad that even MJF doesn't like, and he's the leader of that loser jobber squad. So I think he talked himself up beyond it, and then when it came to, I wasn't seeing the proof of the pudding. See, I'm surprised by this take, Hamfler, because I watched this and enjoyed it as a really well put together bit of business that was entirely logical with a really neat, very simple character dynamic, and the babyface won. All that said, it wasn't overtly spectacular, mm. and it was just maybe even a little bit formulaic and dry. As a result, <laughs> I thought this would be your first post-vasectomy semen sample. <laughs> just, just absolutely easily, um, you know, manipulated. Manipulated myself to issue. Yeah. <laughs> oh. But honestly, like, ultimately, it's not going to win any match of the year awards. It was still, nonetheless, a really well put together business, a bit of business. I'm just perennially into Ricky Starks, mm. and I really think that. See, when you watched it, and I can understand this take that you thought, right? Okay, the first TV defense never actually works on a strict level. So it has to be like Paige Danielson tier to work. Yeah, it has yeah. to be so great. Yeah. <laughs> That you just think, oh, well, I'm not buying the title. And switch. you've got to buy that the champion has maybe peaked by winning it. Page was so great for that because yeah. the first defense, like, oh, he's actually done it. Is he so emotionally exhausted from the journey that he loses his first time out against yeah. the best wrestler in the world? So I understand that. But I thought Ricky, I had the complete opposite opinion, uh, to be honest, because I was watching Ricky Starks sell so well that I thought that mother is going to pull me into the matching, especially in Texas. Mm. So I'm really looking forward to it because mm. I think it's, it's selling and emoting has always been top tier. This is more exaggerated and histrionic and big momenty ahead of that match. But um, that's really enjoyed this, and it was the result. And I think I've, I was so impressed by the deft dovetailing story around the main event of Full Gear and the Full Gear Eliminator Tournament that I was a l very generous to this. I'll tell you what I'll be kind to, just briefly, because I know we're going to go long on the elite stuff. Mm. The winter is coming, man. I know AEW is going to be three years old and a bit by then, so there's a point where this take has to die, I suppose. Winter is coming, a substantial TV show at this point in AEW's canon, being headlined by world champion MJF versus Ricky Starks. still cool. Yeah. Like, these people were just not guys. They weren't guys. MJF, we knew from being that they weren't guys. And now they're trusting one of their big temple TV shows with this as a world title main event. Yeah. That's awesome. That is like that's more proof of concept for AEW yeah. even now. Imagine that. two acts who debuted in twenty nineteen or early twenty twenty in WWE doing this. Yeah, Ad like, adjacent to a pay per view, not yeah, just like main event in Raw because that's different, but like like the yeah. backlash. Yeah, or a, we need just both, not just one, not yeah. just one guy versus. Mm. Oh, we're going to give him a shot. Are we? Yeah, yeah, both, both. both. Yeah. Do you know what I'm going to make an executive decision right now? Right, because. A little bit is it of a, up to you? Yeah. A little bit of a reveal. 
Um, the day after winter is coming is the What Culture Christmas Party. But you know what? We're so bloody dedicated. We're going to delay our Christmas party to the afternoon. doesn't matter. They might be starting at 3 p.m. Right, we're going to delay it just so we can cover winter is coming. And maybe I'll set up a, a thing where people can maybe Venmo us some money to buy us drinks for being so good to them for that sort of thing. Just a thought. Just a thought. I'm just asking questions here. All right, Jules. Love Jules Gill, by the way. Don't get it twisted. He's an absolutely (laughs) lovely boy. I think that's on behalf of our audience. I think that's a really thoughtful gesture to them. Don't call us heroes. Don't call us heroes, guys. (laughs) Yearie off in pipe picks, Matt Rains. Why don't you like produce some reason for us to post them as well? (laughs) Drop some coin. (laughs) Give me your money, bitch. Make yourself (laughs) a Just to clarify, Matt Rains is not a bitch. He's the number one mega fan. An absolutely splendid, spectacular yeah. bloke. Isolate Sidgwick calling you a bitch in your car radio. <laughs> yeah, dare you. Dare you. It's just... I kind of miss it. I've been off to... I kind of miss the... Yeah. I miss the pint picks on a Friday as well. Uh, which yeah. is still weird that that's not happen- live. Not live, yeah. yeah. We are the biggest morons on the face I know, the but... It's like, How have we... Yeah, it still feels like it's on him, doesn't it? It's like, you deceived us this, all this time. Yes. It's, it's not daylight in my part of the world, you idiots. You thick idiots. Yeah. Red. <laughs> 4 p.m. on a Friday isn't bright sunshine where you are in the world. <laughs> yeah. Excuse me? What about uh, time zones? It's like, where the hicks? It's like, where the hicks in this situation? Hulk Hogan uh, told me he could work 400 times a year because of time zones. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> well, the sun's in the sky, though. In the sky? Why is it blue? Why is it blue? <laughs> why, why is it blue? <laughs> Back to dynamite. Conrad selling dick pills. <laughs> you just need a jacket. <laughs> Jeff jacket. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. We got a quick recap of uh, Samoa Joe winning the TNT title at Full Gear and then Wardlow saying, I have no idea what bloody happened, basically. It's still Wardlow's world and he wants his belt back. Anything you want to say about this? No, at all. Uh, Samoa Joe and things orbiting Samoa Joe do not interest me. I'm sorry. Like, what a mistake. What, Joe, a mis- what an yeah. error. Joe and Wardlow cannot follow into Sher versus the Creed Brothers. No. <laughs> no, they cannot. <laughs> what an error. 
Um, we found out what happened with Jay Cargill and Bow Wow, and that was not very much, apparently. <laughs> like, we're going to have to show you all the footage, all 10 seconds, of uh, Jay Cargill sort of shouting at Bow Wow, and then Shiguri going, we can't do this. It's a, like, post-concert meet and greet or whatever. Um, and then, yeah, Jade's there with the baddies backstage, uh, and she says, uh, what's going on? And she says, look, I'm just not going to give any attention, any spotlight to that prick. Uh, Red Velvet's back amongst the baddies, uh, and they're going to have a celebration next week because she's already been there and done that in Chicago. Uh, in comes Mark Sterling and says, officially, Cargill has no comment on Bow Wow. Um, and they leave, and before they leave, uh, um, Sterling stops Kiara Hogan, gets her to sign something and says, thank you for your services. You're no longer needed now, though, because we've got Red Velvet back. Why do you have to have a contract to be a baddie? <laughs> Whew, thank God we found something for Mark Sterling to do. I was getting worried there for a second that nobody would recruit anybody. Or take somebody's licensed merchandise off them. What would we do without Smart Mark and Sterling? That's what I ask myself every week. Oh, I don't know, Paul. But it's, uh, he's, he's, the, he's, the, he's the new Creepers. Like, in 2019 era, Tony Carter's back. He's one-man Creepers. Coming in and getting in the way of people you like. Title match. Title match in the main event. The Elite and all the CM Punk stuff. But my question is, What's Sterling doing it's on this show? Shane McMahon on the WrestleMania yeah, whiteboard, isn't it? it? What have we got for him? Tony Khan gets like four hours of sleep a night. The second hour he gets interrupted. Oh, God, Sterling. <laughs> <laughs> Sterling's the only person who has his thoughts. It's me where he's sleeping and he's got lasers for eyes. Sterling! I, I, um, I couldn't have cared less about this, if yeah. I'm honest. Mm. I feel sorry for Kieran Hogan, though. I, I think I was supposed to. I didn't. Like This Jade Cargill Baddies thing is weird because she... Blows really hot and cold with them. She kind of gaslights them, and yet she's often you're supposed to receive her as the baby face. It's a weird relationship yeah. there in the baddies. It's gone wrong on it ever since that. What was the one where the other week where like somebody didn't get the belt back? She was just like, you fucking idiot. Like <laughs> yeah, the Nine yeah. Rose was right there. And the, I mean, to be fair, the camera <laughs> missed it as well. So. LTST. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, baddies <laughs> law. Right, it's time to talk about it, Sige. Yeah. <laughs> it was a uh, the second match in the best of seven series between. Death Triangle, who are currently the trio's champions, of course. This is a part of this. The titles aren't on the line every match. It's whoever wins the, wins the best of seven. Big, heels, big heel turn for them on Saturday. Big heel turn for Death Triangle. That's their narrative driver. Versus the elite. Come on. You're on a situation with heel is by now, don't you? How old are you? How old are you now? 37? You were dressing the other week. Is it your first show, man? Yeah, they're in Chicago. And uh, <laughs> hey, guess where? Guess where Survivor Series is? Boston. 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 Where show's gonna be? What war game's gonna be? DD Garden. It's in the garden. It is in the TD Garden. TD Garden. The TD Garden. The TD Garden. Join us on join us on live stream on Saturday to see me and me and Hample doing a wicked pisser. They're gonna do a goddamn Boston accent. All night. All God. Four hours. Four hours of Boston. We will turn this car around. Boston time. Coming off to Boston. What are you talking about? Oh, yeah, they're in Chicago. CM Punk's from there. And uh, the elites <laughs> got the response. I think they were fishing for quite possibly here. Sige, yeah. uh, they make their entrance, and unsurprisingly, there is uh, a mixed reception. I think is the nice way of what was it? Michael Cole used to say about Cena: he always generates a reaction. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's one way of putting it. And they're doing the carry on my way with Son, um, and they're of course facing the um, 
the Death Triangle lads, and Pac's got this face mask on because his nose got broken on Saturday. Um, but despite everything, despite the young bucks being the bloody scamps that they are, Kenny Omega shakes hands with Ray Phoenix to start, then immediately v his head <laughs> off. Yeah. Uh, and they just, like you say, situational heels, not to, to tread all over your point that I'm sure we're going to get to in a second, because they immediately just stop putting the boots to him. Um, there's, a, there's brawling outside, and Omega goes to do his little... And everyone's like, oh, okay, well, I do like that. And then he's like, okay, GTS. <laughs> and like, what? What are you doing? He does the go to sleep symbol and yeah. immediately gets nailed uh, with a somersault cutter, I think it was. It just, it looked like he landed on his head. Can you make us bum something? <laughs> yeah. Um, so Phoenix hits a dive onto everyone outside. Death Triangle takes over. I think that's when we went to break. Uh, <laughs> I certainly remember when we came back from break. Can you make us in there with, I think it was back. How am I going to get out of this move? Bite him. Bite him. <laughs> <laughs> Just what, what would a steel do in this situation? He's biting Pac's arm. Um, I, 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 I can't even remember exactly where amongst all this it happened, but I do feel <laughs> Matt Jackson ballsing up a buckshot Larry and then his subsequent, oh, what happened there, face? <laughs> <laughs> I booked it. I love that. I don't think he got it off me, obviously, but, you yeah. know, great minds think alike. Yeah. <laughs> Two great workers recognise each other. Um... So, in amongst all this, Penta gets the hot tag and just runs wild. Uh, loads of DDTs for everyone. We back in. I with don't like that because that makes me nick and he's a weird gay. You can't, you can't be the same as Matt. We can't, we can't carry that one over like the Dadleys. That make me Omega. Can't so be like the old books. He's, uh, he's Omega. Your brand and color. <laughs> yeah, I was say, I'm not having Omega in this, I can say. Um, so, Omega and Pac are back in there. There's a This Is Awesome chant. Uh, you know, there's been. There's been FCM Punk, there's been F the Elite, there's just been CM Punk chants, but it finally gets a quite right. This is awesome chant. Um, Snapdragon from Omega, Pax face mask gets rips up, ripped off. As if that wasn't bad enough, as if that wasn't bad enough that you've lost the, the protective thing on your face because you've got a broken nose. He eats a triple super kick for a near fall. Um, Nick takes out Penta and Phoenix with a dive. Omega hits a V-trigger, but uh, Pac gets out the one-winged angel. Um, oh, yeah, and then Omega hits a GTS on pack, but uh, it's not good, is it? He only gets a two count, so. That's not how it, we'll get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so uh, Pax, I think, is about, about to eat a uh, uh, Meltzer driver, but Phoenix gets involved. Phoenix hits a tope. Pack gets low-blowed by Matt Jackson, who, and then gets handed the, the hammer by Brandon Cutler, and he does his whole, I'm going to use the hammer set up. Uh, but then Panna just goes, it's not a hammer, this is a hammer. I'm just blasting <laughs> with it as well. Pack steals the pin, one, two, three. Um, Death Triangle go 2-0 up now in this best-of-seven series. Um, and uh, Ray Phoenix isn't best pleased with this one. Carry on my wayward son. Draw my cock until I come. <laughs> this is, oh, I was in pro wrestling Nirvana. I achieved the state of Nirvana watching this match. I swear to God, I was loving this. It was transcendent professional wrestling. It was relentless, relentless wave upon wave upon wave of pop, 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 pop. Pop, pop. The action was unbelievably tight, even by the standards of this these six men. I, in fact, thought that this obviously wasn't as big a match or as long a match or as pay-per-view feeling a match as the one that had in full gear. Honestly, I thought this was more exciting, tighter, a little bit more urgent. But 
comparing two absolutely awesome things here, there's just something about this action-wise that I just, I think I preferred to the full gear match, which I thought was absolutely unbelievable. And then the CM Punk stuff, right? I'm going to say something. I'm right, dickhead. I have the final say, right, on all of this. If CM Punk, sorry, if the Elite did this in somewhere like uh, Little Scotia, Little Rock, Arkansas, right, and won, even I, self-professed elite law nerd, would be like, all right, well, you've said you wouldn't do that. (laughs) Probably no need. And you've just... uh, even for you, this is a bit lame. I honestly thought this is a complete masterpiece of how to control a crowd, how to anticipate what the crowd is going to respond, how to get them to respond days ahead in the media before you do this for a purpose that ultimately made every single person happy, at least on some level. I know there's a lot of people who aren't going to like this match, but I think that if you look at the how they've got people in the moment in that arena, even if it is just a one-week bizarro land thing, it's better than that absolute arsehole Michael Cole going, <laughs> the cheering people. He's not, he's not from the South, but still. <laughs> like de facto American voice at this point. The cheering people who they normally boo and boom people who they normally cheer. <laughs> it's really the opposite, brilliant version of that, right? I can't obviously recap move by move this match, but we'll go more or less reference by reference for punk, 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 okay? Even something, by the way, before I get there, the Phoenix like screwdriver, but electric screwdriver movement diving into them. That was so much better than, for example, the already great, if contrived, spot where um, Nick Jackson, Hurricane Ronard, Penta off the top rope onto the field because it was just like, there was no hesitation. There was no, are we both in place? There was just, I'm going to jump up there and do it. It was fantastic. But the first CM Punk reference happens when, back to the hard camera, Kenny Omega motions to do the go to sleep gesture. Mm. The people in the crowd are like, they've finally done that, which is perfect because Omega's like, oh, we're above that, guys. We're Let's going move to on. Do it. It Let's let, move let it go. On. Let it go. We can't talk about it. You can cheer for him if you want, but it's like, come on, grow up. <laughs> and then he just does it. And, it's like, uh, and they're like, oh my God, he's done it. So that was a great pep. What happens literally a second later, he gets <laughs> cutted, does this absolutely demented neck first bump, and then that allows... The CM Punk fans, the pro CM Punk camp in Chicago, a bit of catharsis. There's a situational heel, has mocked their hero, and he's shown ass for it and eaten shit. And I just need to clarify this point, as I did on Twitter. Hopefully the mega fans will forgive me. I'm not saying that the elite thought, you know what? We've obviously been a little bit traumatized by this experience. Um, you know what? So, so's Phil. So what we're going to do for the benefit of his fans is I'm just going to show a little bit of ass here. No, they just thought this is the best story to tell for this match. This is how to get the best, most earnest possible reaction from a crowd that really we all kind of worried could hijack it. And it also plays into the fact that in the next two, three, four weeks, we're going to go to different markets. We won't feel any of this anywhere near as keenly as Chicago. And then we can do the big baby face comebacks then because we're 2-0 down in the series. Mm -hmm. Here for a night when we're going to lose, why not do it as heels now some fun with it and create some conversation with it. Kenny Omega, there's a difference between Matt Jackson and of course he took the fall because he was the most over out of the lot with that bloody incredible, I'm not just saying it was my idea as well, but the messing up the book shot 
especially when Penta was already getting his ass kicked in the heat sequence, so he could piss about during it. Like, his little sheepish grin was absolutely fantastic. He's got a Shawn Michaels 97 it on him as well. Yeah, like, yeah, he yeah. fires them off like a machine gun sometimes when they, the crowd need to eat it. Yeah. He's good it, at that. It literally, it was like a cartoon thought bubble appeared as he landed and went, harder than it looks, this, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. So he was the most overt. Him and Kenny. Kenny was Omega, athletic, psychological genius in this match. What an absolute legend. I think the brawl out was a good thing, actually, because Kenny Omega is just like 110%. Yeah. <laughs> And, but it was Matt Jackson who was the one of the most, like, the, one of the two most overt. He did the praying thing. Then he did the sitting in that iconic pipe bomb position. That was, that was great because physically that was impressive. Yeah. yeah. That was like, because on Saturday they called it like the RAR moonsault. So he was supposed to think about Paige. And it's the night was like, don't mention that because we want to think about punk. Yeah. Like, that was really cute. That. So he was like the most eaten about it. Whereas Omega was actually integrating it into his strategy a bit more towards the end. Who got a hammer in the face and got made to look like the arsehole. And who did the job? Matt Jackson did the job, right? Kenny Omega didn't. They had their fun with the bookshot. But he treated the GTS as a move that he thought he could win with. He didn't go, well, well guess that move sucks. I better do the one-winged angel because that's much better. I'm Kenny Omega. He was like, no, 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 no. I wanted to use that move to embarrass him because it's a good move. Mm. If you're, the guy's got a broken nose as well. That's the thing. In terms of the most sort of divided crowd they're going to ever play in front of all year, the elite, and I'm not again, I'm not saying they did this out of the goodness of their heart, right? They created and laid out this unbelievably, relentlessly spectacular match that was so much fun, so cheeky, like, so good for, like, engagement, right? Elite fans, knowing that they're going to be more competitive in the series, were happy watching them do elite things, which is kind of passive-aggressive, incredibly cheeky stuff, right? But they weren't just doing, like, oh, my cock's bigger than Phil, so I'm just going to do this. Like, they got the pro-punk camp on side. Audibly, I heard it and saw it in the reactions, and somehow, because it was so entertaining, just got them to buy the Elite as heels without hijacking this because they gave the punk fans something as well. Again, not out of the goodness of their hearts. I know that. They're probably not the nicest people in the world, and I'm not developing a parasocial relationship with them. But my God, they knew how to do business. And if Phil could, then we could have the Elite versus CM Punk and FTR. The Elite showed me that they are willing to send themselves up because all this punk taunting. In the story, all these taunts got them nowhere except embarrassed consistently to huge paps throughout. Love to know your thoughts on this as well because I watched this and thought, oh, cool, CM Punk's coming back then. And then I came in and chatted with with, with you guys and, and, and Andy Murray, of course. And yeah, it was like, oh, of course, yeah, they're doing Michaels in, in Montreal or whatever. But I was so sort of thrown by all this because, you know, we thought there might be a cheeky reference. And obviously we talked about it yesterday about how Chicago would receive the elite. But after I watched it, I, I, there's a there's a poll. I'm fascinated. To the results. I posted a poll on my Twitter about whether CM Punk's coming back. Yes, they are working us with what they've done here. Or no, they're just trolling us. Um, currently, no, he's not coming back. He's winning 63% to 37%. But I think the fact that it's not just unanimous and that there's people in the comments arguing about it as well. Wrestling is, fans believe everything is at work. I love <laughs> most of them, but the people who respond to the all things think everything's at work. It's just it, well, fascinating. Your thoughts, Hamflot, on, on everything here? Oh, I don't know. They're all over the place. It, I would never, ever um, invalidate 
Sidgwick's takes or anybody else's for that matter. I think that's a bad faith fandom and especially in a position where we're speaking in the microphones about our takes. I didn't like this match as much as the full gear one for a number of different reasons. Um, primarily that I was constantly reminded because of course I was about the reality rather than the fiction. Um, the You made this point such a few weeks ago and it wasn't directly related to using punk references but it was something else about the elite. Where it was like the best way they can take an optics victory lap is by just being passive-aggressively brilliant, the best in their field, and that was this, right? So I'm thinking, well, what's the value of an optics victory lap? That fr- I'm a twat for saying optics victory lap. <laughs> bubble upon bubble upon bubble upon, like, like. so I thought, right, you know what, the being the elite thing was inspired. The dropping the music for the FCM Punk thing was inspired because it. we were thinking, it's going to be mixed in Chicago. Chicago is CM Punk, but it's also AEW. It wasn't mixed when they came out. It, the, the heat was out the ass. Mm. The atmosphere was intoxicating. Yeah, they were. Uh, missed that, those AEW crowds. Thrilling. Like, absolutely thrilling, vitriolic rage towards the elite. And I put that down to the elite making the very conscious choice to build to this match with that being the elite thing, right? Because being the elite will absolutely be watched by 95% of people in that building, which is how you get that noise. I'm trying so hard to not fall into, like, the disco inferno casual fan. sound like Keanu Reeves I know, I went, oh, in the Dracula my, my film br- have, you, have you seen it my yeah, brain went wrong yeah. just trying to say his name Blue Inferno Inferno right I don't want to fall into that trap because I think it's, it's a nonsense take that is used as it's a strawman argument that this casual fan thing however narratively I was less invested in the match because I thought I was watching these dickheads these conceited pricks point scoring I, that's how I felt in the moment um Forget about this death triangle story that you've been trying to tell this week. Remember it next week, please. But forget about it this week. That's situational heel stuff. Yeah, I and that like how well did that work out for Cody in the end? Really, not that well. It's only a week. Pro- I for now, but like it's all tied into the elite being the elite. Like you have to, you have to be so engaged in this nonsense, and they are asking you to pick a side. And if they're not, it's because they're working to see Punk to come back, and he's probably not coming back, is he? So if you want to take this, uh, if you want to enjoy this. On a narrative level, you have to believe that they're working to CM Punk returning. No, you don't. You do. Otherwise, you have to be in this wrestling bubble thing. Wait, did you can, not pop? How can you say right? We some weeks we go, yeah, Twitter isn't real, and then this was the most wrestling Twitter match of all time. And how many people reacted to it on Twitter? For all I know, millions of people. Like in the building, they in got the it. Building. But again, this is the point. It's the, like Chicago is the most. It has to be in Chicago for all the reasons you've stated. But equally. There's also the argument that it simply does not work in Little Rock, Arkansas, because they don't give a toss as much about the people in Chicago. That That's why they didn't do it in Little Rock, Arkansas. I think that is as bad as it is good. I, like, I really do think that that is as much of a problem as it is the success of this match, personally. Like, this was up its own ass, this I match was. And, but people love that about the... Like, it's the foundation of AEW. Like, the parasocial relationship that Cedric speaks of is one of the reasons I can't stand the Young Bucks a lot of the time, because when the fans aren't with them, that bio that this week was great for the work, in six weeks' time, it's going to be like, huh, liked us more when we were jacking off CM Punk. Like, they get pissy with it. Like, they have their cake, and they have their goal cake, and eat it all the time, right? And I remember that, so when I watch this, I'm less keen to give them their flowers, because in six to eight weeks, they're going to be calling me a twat for not liking something they did in a different match. It's like, you bitches. Like, Punk is right, like... Punk is right, fundamentally. Like, not about, like, I respect people that manage targets, so I'm not going to validate that point. <laughs> He's right because these people are not, they shouldn't be in power positions in a wrestling company. They should be these awesome pro wrestlers. Like, this makes me think he was even more right than they I thought. They got loads of incredibly conference. talented people who would never get a look in WWE jobs. 
They raised the pay know, scale I of know. the entire industry, Mr. But Socialism. I know, but when you watch this, yeah. when you watch this, right, you are reminded that fundamentally it's about sucking each other off. That is that is more important to them than anything else. Otherwise, this wouldn't exist like this. That's why. That's what I feel when I watch. That's this, fine. Right? That's what I feel, and I, that's why I don't want to come across like I'm invalidating your take. But they didn't do this in Newark. No, they didn't. Because it was very, it was much more important to tell the story of the returning heroes, and the titles meant everything. And I just wanted to think that the titles meant everything. Like I, I get it. I get all of this. Like maybe I'm the one being worked. Like I, like I enjoy it within the context of itself. Kenny Omega went nuts when he couldn't get the GTS. Like he was hating the fact that he didn't get the pinfall because he wants those titles. Yeah, I, and just to, because I know I'm all over the place here. The other point I made, me and Cedric, by the way, had like a really nice chat about this as soon as we yes, got we in, did it. where we like just did, we had this disagreement, but we had it like really nice. We're not performative on podcasts or anything like that. Um, the whole narrative. From all out to full gear because of bloody CM Punk ruining all our lame fun was that like oh, there's a cloud over AEW. John Moxley's got to go out there and cut the promo of his life. MJF's got to tear up three months of hard work and staying inside and completely rebuild a story around winning the title. And they do it. They actually do it. And then we we're on a preview podcast yesterday being like, important reset. Time to move on. Time to move past it. Day one, they're like, no, the digs up. <laughs> like they, they don't want to move on. Yes, they might just want to do it for the situational success of a match and a crowd and all that. But like, we will never be allowed to move past it because they will never ever tire of this. <laughs> and like, it's just the elite. It's just like, and that's what you can love and hate it in equal measures. And sometimes I do. I said it about the full game match. They cast a spell on me, right? Because I am just completely enamored. Kenny Omega, like, I, that, I'm a new Japan guy now. Because Kenny Omega cut one promo. And I'm like, oh, looks like we're going back to the Tokyo Dome, boys. Like, they are that powerful as pro wrestlers, and I get it, and I love being worked for the pro wrestling rather than the elite circle jerk stuff. Like, like there's going to be people doing the Kenny Omega, Donovan Dickhead. Can't wait for this week's being the elite. Can't wait to see what they say about I can. I never want to know because I hate these pricks. I want to watch next week's match and pretend that we're still in the full gear. Like, zone. I am a man who loves the elite, loves their interpretation of storytelling, don't really watch BTE anymore. <laughs> <laughs> like, I uh, just thought, oh, CM Punk thing, uh, you can't help themselves, can you? Yeah. Like, this is electrifying. This is absolutely electrifying. So well done. They could not have united and just made a really fun spectacle out of the situation. And just before we move on, because we could talk about this all day, I do think it's a really good take of Hamlet, even though I wildly disagree about <laughs> why they did this match and how successful it was. Just listen to it. It was intoxicating, right? Yes, they've said, Liar, uh, wrestler lies about storyline to generate reaction in it. They do this when they're selling. It's just what they do. <laughs> so I understand the BTE Sports Illustrated stuff because it was like, ah, you mother... You I didn't even know about that Kenny Omega thing yeah. until you told us this morning that 12 hours earlier was saying, come on, guys, get over it. So for the purpose of this match. I do have you seen his tweet today? No. Thanked uh, Kenta for the GTS. A good patter. That's good patter. Like and Punk's banked the rights because he nicked it. Yeah, so that's that's good. Do you know why Punk nicked it? At the expense of a worker who tried really hard to get it over. By the way, Mister Camp CM Punk. It's because a lot of people were accusing him at the time of really just ripping off every Japanese wrestling yeah. match he's ever seen. So he decided to be a cute, passive-aggressive prick about it at the expense of Kentner, who got that move over. It's all. It's all the same but different. This because we like remember the press. Or for example, every point of CM Punk's run. It's like. Yeah, well, here's this bit that we know is coming. Yeah, like they're 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 so much more alike than they realise CM Punk and the Elite because what you hate about them, you can also love about them in the very next breath. Yeah, and I think that's maybe why they could never. CM Punk's exactly the same as they are as well. He's just not as good as it. Otherwise, he'd still be there. 
All I want to say before we move <laughs> on. Are you making, what does Kenneth think of him getting the GTS because he wanted to be a passive aggressive prick about it? Oh, yeah, the, 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 this is it's it. Just, it's, FTR are the worst. They're, <laughs> they're worse the on Twitter. <laughs> we'd land back at the, the books are. You know what I mean? Like, they're all bitches, right? right? Who makes the most noise and has the most fun being bitches and is the most self-professed about it? That's probably a little lead. I do concede a great point that uh, John Moxley, who I love, I have a parasocial relationship with him. All <laughs> he probably deserves it. He's the only one. Is it even parasocial? If you not that you wish you were his friend, you wish you were him. Yeah. What's, no. what's the next level above parasocial? He, he can be my dad. He can be my mate. He can be my somehow younger brother if yeah. he wants. Like I do feel sorry from retrospect because he did have to do all that. But ultimately, you're right. Professional wrestlers work for the crowd, and they exploit the story in the moment. No one will stop talking about it as well as MJF and John Moxley and Danielson and Jericho. Try to do it. It's just exploit it. Why the hell not? Buddy live a little. Get your lax. I didn't think about the locker room leadership, like how that might change and what they're like. Were they? Lo- I wonder how sagely they were looking on. Oh, this isn't Jericho thinking. Oh, I did a big Eddie Rara speech three weeks ago. <laughs> where, John Moxley where said where that the match that he and Kingston had with the Young Bucks is the best one he's ever had. Yeah. So oh, they get it. They yeah, obviously yeah. get it. You know. There's popcorn stuck in my teeth now. I'm just watching. What do you think? That's right. Um, hang on time. Renee back gets on stage um, with, uh, well, good and bad news, I suppose. The good news is all the interim title bollocks is gone. And Tony Storm, they, they clarified this later, is now going to be recognized as a former AW Women's Champion rather than just an interim be the champion. best ever, actually. Yeah. Um, and Jamie Hayter is now the new AW Women's Champion. The bad news, of course, is unfortunately Thunder Rosa still injured and due to the nature of her injuries and the just uncertainty over uh, when she'll return from those injuries, she is, she's come to a sort of mutual agreement uh, and yeah, uh, she's sort of relinquished the AW Women's World title. Jamie Hayter, now officially the AW Women's World Champion. Uh, Renee Paquette introduces her. Out she comes with Britt and Reba Rebel. Um... And, of course, she's asked how she feels, and Britt's like, I'll take this one. You're not the champion, Britt. Um, she says, look, we never considered the word interim. She's always been the champ. Uh, and take the bloody mic, Renee, and let the champ walk to the ring. Also, and just in case I forget, later on, <laughs> after the match, Britt's, the new nickname, by the way, for, for Britt and, and Jamie is amazing, the pillar and the killer. Yeah. Yeah. The bit later, they one, two, three, and she's like, "Give me the championship," which obviously I'm going to give to Jamie Hayter. <laughs> we can all see where this is going. Um, yeah, awful news about Thunder Rosa, of course, Sidge, but uh, glad that we finally have a proper AW Women's Champion on television again. I public to call it awful, but um, look, this match was contrived in a way that I'm very pedantic about and can't overlook. It was an excuse, a vehicle to very, very, very slowly tease what I expect is going to be the big match at Revolution. It had no reason to exist in and of itself. This is something I criticize WWE for all the time because there are no tag team titles in AEW. So that's a rare lapse in judgment. At least you could go with, all right, this is contrived. It's a tag team match, but, you know, if someone gets a pin over the champion here, that, you know, entitles them to a a title match. So they're kind of results-dependent these sorts of things. It was an excuse to get Jamie Hayter another pop. All in favor of that. It was next, and I think some of her work looked good here. And I think honestly, this crowd were behind this match, and there were some really nice little sequences in it as well. Like Willow Nightingale is always fun to watch. We called um, it as well, in particular. Still counts. 
a couch. Still a couch. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, this was a, vehicle, a contrived vehicle for good things. A triple H-y, but in the best Triple H way, which is to say better than anything he's ever done, apart from, <laughs> apart from NXT in 2015, something like yeah. Uh, I got a little bit confused in this because for some reason I thought this was a three-on-three match earlier on when they mentioned it. So when when uh, Tay and Jay came out, I was like, wait, are they on two different... What's going on here? <laughs> but it was it was three teams of two, of course. It was, as I say, the Pillar and the Killer, Tay J uh, and Sky Blue and Willow Nightingale. Um, early on, um, Mel- Skillo. That's terrible. I don't know why I said it. <laughs> Who's what Scott Skilo? Who is that? The well, show was a little bit. Yeah, dark. I thought it was. That. Yeah. Bought that on a single when I was younger. Was it on tape? I think it was actually tape. You know, yeah. I think it was on tape. Um, yeah, early on, uh, Tay J tried to do a double suplex on Hater, but of course she powers both of them over because she's just mint and yeah, more than deserving of this world title. Um, Later on, Hater comes in to save uh, Anna Jay from taking a pin. Everyone comes in and hits in hits huge moves. Uh, Sky Blue hits a code blue. Uh, Baker comes in to break the pin up. And then Hater comes in, na- uh, knocks down uh, Sky Blue. Baker hits the curb stomp. One, two, three. And then, yes, was, this was the moment with the, give me the belt. Because it's, yeah, it's Jamie's belt, obviously. Um, yeah, like you say, the first of, of many breadcrumbs. Yeah, a decent showcase match, but impossible to avoid that it only existed to further the angle, which is tricky because in any company with a, even a tiny bit more parity, you would just have both. You have a wrestling match for its own sake, as well as the ongoing angle between Baker and Hater, which is the thing, the very minimal expectation with which we should be working towards. I don't want to really credit Britt Baker's performance here because before she even took the mic, her acting, there's a bloodline thing here. You have to watch her. You have to watch every minute of her face now because Jamie Hater gets the introduction and she is working so hard to look pleased and miffed at the same time. Mm. It's like she's trying to be subtle because we all know it's happening and she knows that we know, so she's trying to not be obvious about it. Yeah, my WWE brain's booking Jamie Hater buying Britt Baker a replica AEW Women's World title for Christmas. (laughs) There you go, you got one there. Really tremendous acting from Britt Baker here before the the more obvious pro wrestling stuff of taking the microphone. It's going to be good. I'm I'm really hyped for this, to, this yeah. to play out now. Now that we're like finally down the stretch with it as well. Mm. Uh, only one other competition to mention, though. It's time to play the game. And what is the name of that game, Michael Sidgwick? I feel like Excalibur increasingly here. The purpose of the game, which we should never, ever, ever overlook, is to accurately guess to the hour, minute, second, the first time you hear the only women's match in the first note of the entrance theme that heralds it being on the show, which is usually at the exact same time, because it's an obligation, it's an afterthought, it's Tony Khan saying to QT Marshall when they're formatting the show, and QT Marshall says, oh, I should get a women's match on here, Tony Khan, otherwise they'll cry about it, and then Tony Khan says, Mammy, do I have to? <laughs> yes, you do, you shouldn't do more of it, in fact, so that is why we play the game, the name of the game, of course, is, well, this is ladies night, I'm thinking no word in uh, shout out to Jose Palomares, who's been taking care of this <laughs> whilst Adam Blair has been away. Uh, but Adam Blair back in charge, uh, back keeping keeping tabs on all the uh, not statistics. What's the uh, data? Thank you very much, Michael Sidgwick. Uh, have you, would you care to run us through our, <laughs> our predictions uh, for what time we thought the first note? Of uh, someone's theme was going to hit in the only women's match on AEW Dynamite. What were the uh, what were the timings we suggested yesterday, Sige? In descending order, <laughs> Hamflat, 
one hour, 17 minutes and 10 seconds. Sidgwick, one hour, 20 minutes and 45 seconds. Adam Will born, one hour, 32.23. I can tell you, shout out to Adam Blair, at Adam Wilton4 if you want to give him a follow on Twitter. Um... And at the Ho 11, I should point out for Jose, that's very yeah. harsh of me not to mention that. That's a memorable Twitter handle as well. <laughs> right. <laughs> One person in this room was six seconds off Oof. the time. And I can tell you that the time was one hour, 17 minutes, and uh, 16 seconds. What? Six seconds. Is that the closest we've ever been? That yeah, must be. Yeah, it must be. I think that's if true. someone gets it bang on, we retire the game. That's the closest I've ever been right now, but if I did anything with it, it'd absolutely knock. It'd kill. Six seconds. What are you talking about? I didn't understand the... My, my, my dick and balls. All oh, right, okay. Yeah, yeah he's, uh, he's obviously talking about... These nuts. <laughs> uh, which means Hamlet moves to five correct guesses. One behind Michael Sidgwick. Six correct guesses. Who's two behind me with eight correct guesses. Getting very tight at the end of the year. Hopefully, again, we won't be playing in 2023. If all goes well, we'll yeah, of course we will. <laughs> That's going to be the real war of 2024. QT and Tony arguing over a second match. We're going to be playing this with Terry Funkman. Forever! 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 Uh, right, Renee Baguette's backstage. Uh, she's there with FTR, who are joined by Top Flight, and they uh, they put each other over, basically. Um and uh, Dax Harwood says, look, you're going to take over the tag team division. And they've got all the belts on, basically. And uh, in the end, Darius challenges FTR to a tag match for the ROH tag team titles on this Friday's Rampage, which we will, of course, preview on tomorrow's Rampage preview podcast. Um, and yeah, I think Cash said, we've never backed down for a fight. And we'll, we'd love to. We'd love to face you. We like you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's used for the preview in it tomorrow. Yeah, had to. Uh, don't normally go anywhere near the rampage spoilers, but I had to write up a piece of news to the website today. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, we'll try and do something with the preview tomorrow. Yeah. Maybe we can play an extra game. We'll think of a game. Okay, it's, uh, that's your job for the next day is to think of a new game for rampage preview. I think I can manage that. Or some jokes. Ooh, maybe we'll have a special guest appearance. <laughs> the big jump from NXT <laughs> to AEW. <laughs> Two times did it. <laughs> It's Strux! <laughs> uh, right, the acclaimed come out. Uh, huge pair, but understandably for these guys. Um, and there's a sort of the, a, a recap rap. A bit like the Rampage rap. Maybe that'll make a comeback. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, they, they cover what happened with themselves and Swerve in Our Glory. Because that's what babyfaces should do, right? Is come out and recap the events of things. Game show host style. That's, that's how you get baby faces over. Yeah. Doing a rap form. <laughs> it's better than terrible stand-up. <laughs> it is. Um, Bowen says his shoulder's feeling better, which is a huge relief. And um, a worker. Mm. I'm, like, not pejorative. Like, what an absolutely great worker Anthony Bowen's yeah. is. Can proper go. Yeah, yeah, and can uh, sell out the ears. And some other fantastic news. Billy Gunn's fingers are all better. He rips the bandages off his hands, and they're just about to, 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 to do the very pleasing three-way scissor before who should appear on the screen? Sanjay Dutt, Jay Lethal, and Satnam Singh. Uh, TNA sucks chants echoing around the arena at that point. Uh, yes, because Max Caster mentioned 
mentioned uh, Lethal and Jeff Jarrett in particular during his rap. And uh, Jeff Jarrett basically says, I'll, you, you want to talk about me? I'll give you something to rap about, slap nuts. Watch your back. And Billy Gunn goes, shut up, you old asshole. Uh, <laughs> And then he, he says, let's do the moment that's going to, everyone's all been waiting for, scissor me daddy ass, and everyone on commentary gets confused. Like, can the daddy ass say scissor me daddy? It doesn't matter. Everyone's scissoring, everyone's happy again. I, I don't know if I've ever made this clear, but I quite like Jeff Jarrett. Yeah. And uh, even I'm a little bit concerned by this. Like, I'm open to, uh, was it Murray that pitched guitar versus boombox? Is that you? Which one? Like, it was Murray. And I was thinking more about like Jeff Jarrett and Billy Good arguing over who's got more ownership of the road dog, which could be quite Ooh. funny. Uh, guitars are great. Guitars over people's heads should be a regular part of your wrestling diet. Jeff Jarrett shouldn't. And I'm saying that as somebody that loves him. The, maybe I, the most. Hmm? I was... Maybe yeah. the most of anyone ever. Maybe, maybe. I was hoping he was going to go back into a more of a backstage role for a while after that. Yeah. Um, not least because he's got some really good like live show contacts in the UK, and I'd like more than a graphic that says London 2023, so I can start making some plans. At the moment, but, I think they're wrestling on Tower Bridge. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've got my concerns about this. Uh, don't Tony Khan, don't take the piss with how much you use Jeff Jarrett because Saturday was perfect, and you only risk kind of ruining that a little bit. It was perfect. Saturday, who won that match? You know, yeah. Sting Darby mm. won that match, so it is a bit outrageous. But... I like a little bit of cheek. Right? There's a difference between doing something bad to get to doing something good, and uh, you got away with it. You're going to ruffle in the old hair. Because they did call them out on the rap. So this can work as a grudge program, even if they're win-loss record. Yeah, it doesn't matter anymore, does it, is it? So, yeah, okay, okay. 0-1 on a pay-per-view. Yeah. Well, next in line. <laughs> 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 I'm, trying, I'm trying to think of... Guitar and winter-related things now, for some what? reason, off the top of my head. Why? Because oh. I'm like, well, this, 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 it's a short-term program, isn't it, presumably, for a tag match, tag title match at Winter is Coming. So now I've got a mental image of Satnam Singh riding a, like a sledge, riding <laughs> a guitar. <laughs> so actually, I like the segment. Get the Grand Slam ramp in. Yeah. Yeah. Snow it's angel. got like a red velvet suit instead of a thing on this side. Santa Singh. Yeah. Snow Angel. Snow Angel. Seven foot snow angel. <laughs> <laughs> Main event time. Ring of Honor World Championship. Chris Jericho versus Tomohiro Ishii. Um, they talk about the history of these two. And, and, you know, Jericho's been slagging him off and saying, oh, those years ago, in 25 years ago, whatever it was in Japan, you were still carrying my bloody bags. Um, so you'd think after 25 years, he'd learn, tell you what's a good way to start a match against Tomohiro Ishii. Slap battle. Not a good idea. So, obviously, she wins that, and you go, okay, very good, and there's a bit of a back and forth, and we go to break with a bit of a chop-off, and you go, cool. Come back. They're still chopping at each other. There's a chop forever chant, and I was going to say somehow, I don't want to think about how, because I know how, Chris Jericho has been busted open on his chest. He looks like, well... I, I don't know what he looks like. I was going to compare him to like, remember when Danielson came back in the, was the greatest Royal Rumble because he'd not done anything for ages. His skin was just like bruising like a peach basically, but it was a lot worse than that. I'm like, what's happened? There's someone like, there was a split second where I thought, has Ishii like been sent into a buckle or something and cut his forearm and then that blood's transferred onto Jericho's chest? No, no, no. Other, no. other way around. It's the other way around, Yeah. <laughs> 
Jericho's chest, I think I think Taz compared it to a piece of steak, a raw piece of steak. It was horrific to look at. The sound mm. was so good, though. Mm-hmm. So Jer- Squelch. Jericho goes... In all that, clothesline Ishii into the corner, goes up top of the 10 punches, and Ishii, of course, power bombs him out and gets a two count. They're fighting on the apron. Jericho DDTs him on the apron. That looked rough. Um... And they sort of trade German suplexes. Ishii fires back up and then finally collapsed. Um, Jericho hits a lion salt and Ishii just kicks out a one to a nice reaction. Jericho hits a code breaker again. Ishii kicks out. Uh, Jericho goes for the Judas effect, um, but Ishii avoids it and headbutts him um, and hits a sliding lariat to get a two, two count. Jericho uh, counters out of a brain buster, goes for a walls of Jericho, but Ishii hits a code breaker of his own uh, and another lariat for a nice near fall. Ishii continues with the, the forearms until Jericho's like, please no more. Um, Jericho double legs him, puts him in the walls of Jericho. Ishii's like, oh, I could be here all day, mate. So he transitions into the lion tamer and just, oh, the talk on it looks horrible, especially for a man somehow with no neck. It looks even <laughs> worse. And Ishii just flips off Jericho, taps out, um, and then... Oh, working, love. Um, and uh, and then post-match, Jericho celebrates, storms up the ramp, and teases potentially going after Ian Riccoboni. But before he can do anything, Jericho's stood top of the ramp, taunting, uh, and Claudio comes in and just slaps him, slaps the taste out of my mouth, drops him, uh, seemingly teasing, obviously, them fighting over the Ring of Honor World Championship. But, uh, yeah, I thought, oh, this will be a nice, fun match. I didn't anticipate this, Sige. It's it's going to be 2032, 10 years from now. Hopefully, AEW is still in rude health. And hopefully, we're all sat here. (laughs) And Chris Jericho is going to be working, I don't know, uh, Dante Martin who's really in the peak of his career. Yeah. And we're going to be saying, that's ah, Jericho. It'll be, it'll be fun, at least. Not sure how good it'll be. Like, oh, when, when am I going to learn? This man's unbelievable. Burst out the first lion salt in like five years or something. Yeah. Oh, he's still got that then. Yeah, this <laughs> man is unbelievable. This match was absolutely incredible. I cannot believe how good it was. The sound of it was disgustingly beautiful. The look of it was disgustingly beautiful when I realized that, oh my God, Ishii's chop hand is covered in blood <laughs> and Jericho, gig that titty off. <laughs> He's gigged his own tits to make this wonderful visual. It's just incredible, unbelievable professional wrestling. The sense of struggle here was great. There's a rhythm to the chop exchange. Not everyone can do it. There's the... Oh, God, I can't be asked to power through, actually. No, I'm going to do it. Screaming in each other's faces. The tempo, the rhythm. The This is a take I had on Twitter, right? So the mega fans will forgive me for regurgitating it, but it's a lovely turn of phrase. The body language here was as good as the body horror because <laughs> the way they sold how much of a war this was, in addition to the fact that it was demonstrably obvious that you were watching a war play out, the struggles for the submissions and the reversals, the way they just measured every high spot or like dangerous looking suplex. And there really weren't that many. It was like 80% chops days and they still held the interest throughout. The facial expressions, just the way they timed the comebacks, Ishii's crumble. He always makes you think, he always makes you think, Tomohiro Ishii, that he's got fight left in him. 
what an unbelievable professional wrestler he is. Because when he crumples, he does it in every match. But when he crumples, your heart breaks because you think, oh, maybe he doesn't have that much spirit after all. But how can he? Look at what he's endured. And then he comes back up for the finish before he really dies. And it's just like, come on, he can do it. I screamed, shrieked, squealed, roared, just watched this as if I was a jock. <laughs> and that's what wrestling should do to this you. This is a chop connoisseur. I still remember the machine gun chops he gave to Adam Cleary during yeah, the Royal Rumble. Kabashi his ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I've I tried like be even handed on these things, so I use one of these even hands to take a swipe at Triple H. This is why the playbook philosophy is so so stupid. There are so many ways to have a spectacular wrestling match, different ways and diverse ways. And cutting your boob off to bleed everywhere is yet another one. This was as Box office as your favorite technical classic, as your favorite Luchador match, whatever. It's just another like another genre of pro wrestling because it can be so broad and brilliant. Um, I, too, never have enough faith in Chris Jericho, and I should, because this was totally different to the main event he had against John Moxley, and that was fantastic as well. So he's like he's having this year, but he's got he's always got something like this as a surprise. Uh, I, never taking a bump. I accept that falling on your back hurts or taking a finisher hurts in the context of pro wrestling, but I've never fallen on my back willfully and thus don't know that pain. Uh, I have, however, bit or cut my nail to the point where sometimes I forget and then I eat some crisps. Wrestlers are freaks. How how does Jericho, A, cut that, and then B, just endure it and continue to stand there with it? Like today... How, how was his day today? In his when shower, he, shower, about, oh. putting his t-shirt on and that little thread of <gasps> cotton on it. Like wrestlers are freaks. This was that's pain that you can feel. Putting and his seatbelt on. Yeah, every oh. you know, and yet it's not putting his putting his hand across his chest for a national anthem needlessly. Like every, it's just everything he does today. Like every bit of your movement, think about it. It's like just funky chicken. But, yeah. <sighs> but it's not such a stupid thing to do. Where's the practice? It's not such a stupid thing to do where you're like, well, you're an idiot. Yeah. You no, shouldn't do yeah. that to your body. It's for, your, it's for his art. Yeah. This is his art. And it's not that like, oh, don't give yourself CTE for this. Yep. Unbelievable. Honestly, yeah. this was so good and such a towering performance from Chris Jericho that when Claudio came out, my first thought, like unfiltered, right, was, well, them chin Ian Riccobonis deserve this. <laughs> <laughs> he's earned that. So he's earned that. Come Honestly, on, a bunch of commentators. Come on, he's just... Worked a great match. I was resented, Cloud. I, I was, I've got weird thoughts sometimes. <laughs> a hell of a conclusion to this episode of AEW Dynamite. Let us know your thoughts on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Uh, watch they can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflet at... Michael Hamflet. Follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. Uh, follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. And make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. But for now, this has been the AEW Dynamite Review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. 